Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. It's Hugh Hewitt inside the ReliefFactor.com studio inside of the Beltway. That music means it is the last radio hour of the week. And what a week it's been. It's a week of crisis in America. It is reminiscent of 9-11. It is reminiscent of 2008. But it's actually larger, bigger, more systemic. And it tests the constitutional limits to their utmost. I am not joined by Dr. Larry Aron this week. He has other commitments but the next best thing, Dean Matthew Spaulding, who helms Hillsdale in D.C., the graduate program, everything that they do at the Kirby Center. Dean Spaulding, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. How are you? Healthy I am well. good. I am in self-quarantine. I have no symptoms. I'm asymptomatic, but I'm in quarantine by myself and eating pizza. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm in, I'm in Arlington and from my home office and doing well and keeping an eye on things. So. Is everyone at Hillsdale fine? Is Dr. Arn, Penny, everybody we know and love on this yep, program every, every, who have listened every, for years? Everybody we know is, is fine. One of our um, science professors thought he was sick, and he actually conducted his own test in his lab, <laughs> and he's fine. Well, the great news is I got a note from Kyle this morning. You have done an amazing thing at Hillsdale, and I want people to understand. Uh, over it, I want to give the website. It is hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History, a three-week course for both. There are two tracks, one for adults, one for high school students. The high school students will get a syllabus. They'll get video content, readings. They'll have an essay contest. What a great thing to have done, hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History. Uh, for a time such as this, those great video courses exist, Matt Spaulding. Yeah, and, and, they, and they've been there for a while, and we, we're repurposing them because there are a lot of people at home. We're, we're all homeschoolers now in, in, one, in one sense, and so we wanted to get them out there. That's our, our purpose. I mean, as this thing hit, we started thinking about, obviously, this protection of our own students, other students out there that are at home. Um, but, you know, every other school was just kind of shutting down and stopping teaching. Well, we actually wanted to actually include in, in – Continue our teaching function, uh, you know, to keep these students going, uh, get them through their semesters and, and keep their educations up. So we, we turned to our online programs. Um, you know, we have these charter schools. How do we keep those going, too, in terms of their education uh, when they're home? So we just immediately turned to how we can use our online um, existing videos, how we can harness that to do additional things, and how we can really turn this moment uh, in, in, into one that's it's still also a teaching moment for for students and the public generally. Now we are going to talk, talk Dean Spaulding and I about the Constitution, but I want to preface that by playing four clips that set up the key concern, which is health. Here is the president yesterday. Cut number four, he is talking about what they're trying to do for the economy. I also just invoked the Defense Production Act to help facilitate distribution of essential supplies if necessary. We're working with Congress to provide major additional relief to the workers, small businesses, and the hardest-hit industries. We want to make sure that everybody is able to continue on so that when we recover, all of these companies and these uh, Great businesses, both very, very small and very, very large. They're not going to be broken up, and you'd have to put them back together. That would take a long time because we really believe in – I believe in the V-curve. I believe it's going to go when – uh, when this is defeated, uh, this hidden scourge is defeated, I think we're going to go up very rapidly. 
Here is the vice president speaking about the need to move masks out. Cut number 10. On testing. We want the American people to know once again that testing is available in all 50 states and is becoming increasingly available literally every hour of the day. Because of the public-private partnership that the president initiated several weeks ago with major commercial labs, I'm pleased to receive a report today that tens of thousands of tests are being performed every day. And with the passage of last night's legislations, state and private labs are now required by law to report all coronavirus testing directly to the CDC, which will give the American public and also give our researchers timely and important information. And here is Dr. Jerome Adams, a Surgeon General on Fox and Friends, cut number 14. Well, we're anticipating an announcement from the FDA earlier today, and I want to give Steve Hahn and the FDA a shout out. They have done everything possible to lower regulatory barriers, to get testing uh, out there uh, quickly. Five hours they approved an EUA, an emergency use authorization, last week. And they're really trying to unleash the power of the private industry and of uh, the the research field to get therapeutics approved as quickly as possible. And uh, you're going to hear more about these. And the last, uh, I I want one quote from the, the new Oracle of Delphi is now the Oracle of Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, cut number 18 on with CNN, Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta last night. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what we're doing. We're gearing up for a study of both convalescent serum, which is a big word to say, taking the serum from someone who's completely recovered, getting it in a way that you can reinfuse it in somebody else or getting out the proteins, the gamma globulin, the antibodies from that serum and use it as a way of both treatment and possibly prophylaxis, but mostly treatment. Very good question. It's one of our top priorities. So, Matt Spaulding, we are living in a time, the only parallel to which I can think is the mobilization after Pearl Harbor because, or, or Britain's mobilization in 1940 because at every level, On every vector, people are doing things that were unthinkable a month ago. As a constitutional scholar, what's on your mind? No, I I think that's right. And I think watching watching this from from afar, from from my perch here, I think we're seeing something not only uh, that that hasn't occurred in a long time, but something quite phenomenal. Uh, and your, your parallel to, to World War II is, is, uh, is very important there. We can come back to that uh, because of the innovations we're seeing. But, you know, at a time when the, the, we are used to immediately just turning to the federal government to do things in a, in a direct way, we're also seeing something here I think that is a, a amazingly wonderful and extremely American, which is that – a lot of the actions, those clips you played, but in general, a lot of the actions the president has taken have fallen into um, th- three buckets, if you will. One is early actions to secure the borders, uh, you know, the entry and exit. Uh, secondly, this, the, a bucket of uh, using the, the, the Stafford Act, the uh, National Emergencies Act, the Defense Production Act, uh, asserting what legislative powers he has. He's not actually uh, asserted some unusual Article II power. He's actually using legislative powers he has for emergencies. But what is he doing? He's, he's doing, I think, appropriate things for the executive to do, but he is using his vast powers the way I think, I think we're seeing an example of how, how federal emergency powers could best be used to allow innovation, to allow the private sector, and to deregulate, to give regulatory relief 
so that American ingenuity can come up with solutions and and the, the, that happening and what we're seeing on, on a national level happening everywhere, um, uh, we're seeing federalism uh, in a way that we haven't seen in a while. All of that, I think, from a uh, looking at from a broader constitutional point of view is is not only phenomenal, but I would argue that's how American republicanism, how constitutional republicanism is supposed to, um, on the one hand, control executive power. Remember that we've We've talked many times historically about the importance to need to control the use of executive power in emergencies, but allow for emergency powers that you truly need. And here we're seeing this, this, these innovations that are coming out uh, that I think are the most promising. Uh, and, and it just so happens we're seeing those in the West. This is happening to some extent in England as well uh, with Boris Johnson. Uh, they're turning to private sector here. Uh, the, the amount of innovations, once this has moved into the West, especially England and the United States, uh, the how this is all being brought together, and largely because of kind of energy in the executive. Uh, that is, of course, from the Federalist, energy in the executive. When we come back, we're going to talk about the fear that is not unique to my friend Dennis Prager, but is widespread that the authorities claimed in this crisis will reappear in a non-crisis setting. Dennis linked it specifically to climate change under, say, a hypothetical President Biden. Matt Spaulding is the one to tell you why you need or need not worry about such things. In the meantime, we're going to talk about those powers he alluded to, the Article Two powers, which he has not yet used, and the police power at the state level, which the governors are using, a lot of people wonder, how can Gavin Newsom tell everyone to stay home? Matt Spaulding is here. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Don't go anywhere. Hillsdale.edu and especially Hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History. For you high school students at home beginning March 24th, everything you need to pass that AP History course is right there. Stay tuned, America. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The last radio hour of the week is the Hillsdale Dialogue. Normally, we're dealing with Homer or Moses or people that from far ago, long ago and far away. But today, we're dealing with the here and now, the Constitution in a time of crisis. Dean Matt Spaulding helms Hillsdale in D.C. And you can follow him on Twitter at Hillsdale in D.C. And you can follow Hillsdale at Hillsdale. And you can go to Hillsdale.edu. I would especially encourage... Uh, you students out there in high school to go to hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History. Great course ready for you. Matt, yesterday, California ordered, ordered 40 million of its people, that's all of them, to stay home except for essential activities. By what authority does the governor of California do such a thing? Well, that's a very good distinction. And you alluded to it earlier. This is an important thing for us to remember uh, both in terms of uh, what can and can't be done. The, one of the most important distinctions in the American constitutional system is the difference between the federal constitution and state constitutions. Um, and we'll come back and talk about what a president can and cannot do uh, because the U.S. Constitution is one of delegated powers. Uh, state constitutions, on the other hand, are much broader in their way uh, and uh, states and governors, by extension, have something which is called the police power, uh, and they can they have in many ways much more authority to actually order the kinds of things we are all afraid that uh, President Trump is about to do. 
they can they can quarantine. They can uh, they can tell people to stay home. They can close businesses, restaurants, bars. Uh, governors can do those things in a way that the uh, the, the the national executive cannot, uh, because they don't have that kind of power. Governors do, uh, which is why in this in this you know environment. If we're worried about constitutional liberties, I, I think we do need to keep an eye on what, what governors are doing. They have more authority, which also means they have more authority potentially to uh, do things, for instance, to get around the takings clause or uh, violate civil liberties. That's, that's why, if we go back to our James Madison, the original design of the Constitution, one of the things they worried about what were what? State governments. Um, and state governments doing things which violate those liberties. So it, it, it is an aspect of, of our constitutional system that governors have more authority. Uh, they can do these things. Um, it's something we need to keep an eye on. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, Governor Newsom in California has done a, a lot of executive orders of late, including some that uh, I'm a little more nervous about that have to do with um, uh, the state taking over property. I think the, the key question there is making sure they're, they're limited, they're time-bound, and they don't uh, kind of establish a new norm uh, in, in, in the future. But, but they have a lot more authority on the ground appropriate to the idea of federalism as opposed to the federal executive. Have you ever um, – have you seen anything yet by any of the states that alarm you, Matt Spaulding? Well, the only thing I, which I just alluded to a little bit, at least I'm keeping, a, you know, like we need to keep an eye on, is uh, Governor Newsom in, in California in in his um, one executive order has essentially set up the circumstances whereby the state of California can um, commandeer property and um, uh, private property for dealing with the either quarantine individuals or hospitalization. And so I'm of, of two minds. On the, on, on the one hand, if, if you're fighting a war against uh, a virus like this, again, go back to our World War II analogy here. Um, yeah, you need to assert those authorities and do those things. What I'm mostly worried about in these kinds of circumstances is not the use of emergency power. That's why we have it. That's why we have it. We, we do it in a way that is consistent with constitutional government, appropriate checks. Um, uh, there's a legal system. There's there's a legislative branch uh, looking at the budget. Uh, what I'm more worried about is is these things become uh, an established rule uh, that is there for uh, for all times. We it's, it's not. Well, we I, but they, they need they need to pay if they're right. seizing private property. It's it, the Constitution guarantees state actors must pay, right? That's why you have a check back. You can do it, but you got to have a check to uh, bring it back into the constitutional system. When we come back, we don't focus on the governors. We focus on the president and his Article 2 inherent authority. It's vast. It has not yet been used, but it's vast with Matt Spaulding. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues. Hillsdale.edu for everything you need during quarantine. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, Dr. Matthew Spalding Helms, Hillsdale in D.C. Follow it on Twitter at Hillsdale in D.C. Hillsdale dialogue underway. All of the dialogues dating back to uh, 2013 are collected at Hugh4Hillsdale.com for your binge listening pleasure during the uh, the quarantine, beginning with Homer. 
And uh, the Old Testament right through the present day. Uh, Dean, Matt, I want to talk to you a little bit about Article 2. What powers did the president have in a crisis and which ones has he and has he not used yet? So the um, it's an important distinction. Um, the president has, uh, as with each branch, Article 1, Article 3, the president has Article 2 powers. The thing always to remember is that each branch is vested with its own array of powers. Congress has the legislative power. The courts have the judicial power, judiciary power. Uh, the president has the executive power. Now, there's different aspects of that, and there's a little bit of a nuance here we want to we need to understand. Uh, we're, we're, uh, he has vast powers when it comes to a national emergency having to do with, especially foreign policy, war, uh, his war powers. Um, those uh, inherent Article II powers, uh, he has not formally called upon any of those, and I'm not sure under the circumstances he needs to, or at least at least point at this point uh, will will want to. To some extent, you could argue that his inherent Article II powers are those that allow him to, for instance, control the borders. Um, that's that's more obviously a national security question. But there are other aspects of Article Two that are extremely important. Remember, he has to take care of the, uh, of the laws are enforced. He has certain domestic uh, responsibilities. And so at the top of the show, I emphasize that so far he's been acting under uh, these various laws passed by Congress. Uh, the Defense Production Act was passed during the Truman administration. The National Emergencies Act was passed in the 70s. The Stafford Act was passed, I think, in the early 80s. These are laws that recognize the circumstances where there might be emergencies in domestic, uh, in the, in the, within the domestic United States, uh, uh, disasters, or uh, we'd normally think of, or other things like that. And they actually create the parameters by which the president can use and act in those emergencies, act with energy, but doing so um, with his authority over the the modern regulatory state, this is why so much of it, I think, inherently has to do with regulatory relief, but also gives him a lot of authority to move monies around within the budget, such as the Emergencies Act uh, and, and things like that. So I, I think part of his best use of Article Two right now is actually not trying to uh, assert some current creative uh, war power. I think his best uh, action in Article 2 right now is to use his ability as the executive, as the, the person who takes care of the laws, to use the flexibility in those laws and the discretion of the executive in a national emergency to provide regulatory release, do this, do that. Uh, he just the, the list of things he has done, he could, he's waived interest on student loans, he could direct HUD to suspend uh, eviction foreclosures. Um, he can order the FDA to fast-track uh, drugs. They're, they're showing promise. He can uh, direct the Small Business Administration to change his policies. I think those things, a vast array of things, which you can only do through an executive, not through a legislature in, in times like this, is exactly what uh, he should be doing. And I think that's what we're seeing um, at the federal level recognizing then that it's governors who have this other broader power at their local level. So I just now, you gave me the upper. Of, 
you, you gave you gave me the opportunity to segue to a little bit longer clip, but I want to play for you because again, it's a, the Oracle of Fauci. Dr. Fauci talking about how do you waive regulatory barriers to get stuff you need done. This is about the drugs that might be successful interventions. Cut number 17, Dr. Fauci on CNN last night. No, so, so let, let me put it into perspective for the viewers, uh, and, 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 and perhaps we'll understand it better. There is a drug, two drugs, they're, they're very similar, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. They've been used for decades for malaria as well as for the treatment of certain autoimmune diseases like lupus. It's a very inexpensive drug. It's tried and true. It's been around for a long time. There's been anecdotal, non-proven, anecdotal data that it works. When people give it to someone, it makes them better. But when you have an uncontrolled trial, you can never definitively say that it works. In addition, there's been some in vitro data in the test tube. You put hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine in, with the virus, it tends to uh, impede the virus. It's done that with a number of other viruses. What was said today at the press conference, this is an already approved drugs. So it could be available, for example, when you use it off-label, which means somebody uses it for a purpose that it wasn't officially proved for. What the president was saying is that we're going to look at all of these drugs and we're going to try to get them available in the context of some sort of a protocol where you just don't distribute drugs willy-nilly. You may make it more accessible than you would have previously, but you do it in the context to at least get some feel for both safety and whether it works. That was the message about the malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. I mean, uh, you know, the, the reason we ask, obviously, Dr. Fauci about this, and, and it's constantly this balance, I imagine, in your job and everyone's job, this balance between, between hope and honesty. I mean, it was described, as you know, at the press conference as a, as a game changer. I mean, w- w- again, w- how, how should the public interpret that sort of thing? You know, uh, Sanjay, I'm not so sure it was, it was I mean, I, I was watching it on TV. I was you know, around the corner from from the conference looking at a TV. I don't think it was necessarily described as a game changer, but but let's make sure people understand what it is. Today, there are no proven safe and effective therapies for the coronavirus. That doesn't mean that we're not going to do everything we can to make things that have even a hint of efficacy more readily available. So long as you do it in the context of some sort of protocol that would take a look of getting some information about safety and efficacy. But there's no magic drug out there right now. So so what I want to stress there, uh, Matt Spaulding, is we've got to find out if anything is a magic drug. We've got to expedite everything. And the government's got to be honest about where it is in the process. If it looks promising, I think... The government is well served by saying it looks promising. And then Anthony Fauci comes along and says, but but don't bank on it. But but also keep in mind here what 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 we're seeing, which is um, a a, yet again, we're seeing living proof that bureaucratic centralization uh, like Medicare for all is not the best way to go. You've got to allow for flexibility. So right there in that quote, you saw essentially a conversation, even though it was only one person. A conversation with him speaking as a technical expert, a scientist uh, who's dealing with protocols and the rules and regulations that have been developed uh, on these things. 
but at the same time recognizing that this ultimately is a political decision about circumstances and a prudential call in, in, the, in immediate terms. That's why you need an executive uh, in order to allow for those types of things to, to, to happen. This is an emergency. The, the other great example here would be um, uh, reduce, uh, re- getting rid of FDA regulations over the development of ventilators. I mean, you know, Tesla is now talking about uh, using their technology having to do with HVAC in order to quickly develop ventilators. Well, you got to break down the system to allow that to happen so that private sector innovation can can run with this. I mean, in England, Boris Johnson is talking to Rolls Royce and and British Motors about trying to develop quickly uh, uh, adequate regulators or uh, ventilators. You've got to. Yeah, break I, down I, I know a guy in California who. I, I know a fellow in California been in touch with me. Uh, his his um, air purifier has been accepted by University of California Davis. Uh, they ordered twenty of them, but it's not certified by the government. Uh, all right, so it's not. It no one will buy it until it's certified by the government. That's not a great situation, Matt Spaulding. No, well, you know, it, it, when we go back and look back on this, we'll see the 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 testing question about how quickly you do testing. Well. Where, where does the huge jump in testing come from? It's when you took it out of the hands of government, you reduced the, uh, you gave them parameters, and you let the private companies like Roche, uh, who developed the, the, the private testing, uh, do it. When you allowed Walmart and CVS and all these private corporations to figure out how to quickly gather the information and do drive-through testing, that's the beauty of why uh, the American system works. We're seeing a decentralized Madisonian federalism of, of 200 year, over 200 years ago adapt to an immediate circumstance where you've got an energetic executive, you've got governors doing what they're doing, you're deregulating and giving regulatory relief so that the private sector can step in. I mean, this is, these are the kind of innovative things that happened in World War II, the development of radar and mulberries, and, uh, which were the, the, the systems oh, yeah. that allowed for the invasion of... Do you know, Matt, the, the book... The book that I've been recommending the most for people who are discouraged is Citizen Soldiers by Stephen Ambrose, which is about uh, the American war effort. How did George C. Marshall go from 160,000 standing army in 1939 to 88 million men under arms in 1944? How did they get to Normandy with all the LSTs? How did they take the hedgerows? And what you just referred to reminded me of that book. It's just the most encouraging book. American GIs in the field, farm boys and auto mechanics, figured out how to adapt their tanks to break through the hedgerows. It was amazing. No, and, and, and that's, that's why I have great, great confidence in the American system. And that's why I think we're seeing who's having problems with this. I mean, God bless them, and we pray for them. But the Italian system is, is and, and the European systems that have all these things centralized are not doing that well. England and the United States are being innovative. I mean, this is a, we're, we're seeing this huge lesson here about bureaucratic centralization as opposed to having an appropriate level of regulations for health and safety, but in emergencies, being able to uh, overcome those in order to bring about innovative solutions. By the and way, Spain... The, the textbooks will look back and see this history. Spain had 235 deaths overnight, 2,833 cases in one day. Madrid has 7,165 cases. Uh, They have basically federalized their response, but they don't have a strong state system. 
Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about responding to world need and the People's Republic of China's role with Dr. Matt Spaulding, Dean of Hillsdale in D.C. Follow him on Twitter at Hillsdale in D.C. Everything available from Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. At Hillsdale, I mean, Hillsdale.edu. You can follow Hillsdale at Hillsdale on Twitter, but Hillsdale.edu. And especially Hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History. Three-week course for adults and high school students adapted to your needs. Get right back here for the last segment with Matt Spaulding. What's the world doing? We'll tell you about it. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt talking with Dean Matt Spaulding of Hillsdale in D.C. He leads a graduate program there, which goes forward, and they'll have a new semester coming up. Go to hillsdale.edu, find the D.C. stuff to find out how to do it, and hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History. If you're a high school student, the new class gets underway March 24th. Matt, around the world, there are various countries in crisis. Uh, first of all, what powers does the president have to assist them independent of any congressional authority? And secondly, what power does he have vis-a-vis the People's Republic of China, which is responsible for this worldwide catastrophe? Well, I think that that kicks in another set of uh, authorities and powers. He's got the command of the military, which means he can send military around to do things. Um, so he's got a lot more uh, ability to send supplies and help foreign countries. And there are pr- plenty of other laws that exist that he could could invoke. There is an International Emergencies uh, Act, which has not been used. Um, so he d- does have to- uh, things at his at, at his disposal. I think the challenge he has here right now, and you've, you're alluding to it by bringing up the Chinese question, is, um, you know, countries, especially like China, are looking around as this is going on in terms of what their what their options are. And how they're going to react in a way that, that you know could possibly be more detrimental to the American economy, among other things. So they're thinking about it in terms of, of their great power status is how they're going to uh, react to these things. So I think one of his most important things right now would be to be helping our friends and allies as, as, as we can. But his primary obligation is to uh, protect his his own country. Uh, defend his own country, making sure our military is is protected around the world and its places, uh, making sure we keep our uh, embassies and our connections with other countries uh, strong, uh, and not not allow those uh, to go by the wayside. I mean, you know, I I would worry that uh, in circumstances like this, Iran is is one country in particular is having a very hard time. Probably, by the way, because they had close connections with China and there was a lot of back and forth and led to them having the virus. But would, would an Iran decide to do something if they feel their own regime is threatened? That You know, the, you could have a military situation in the midst of all this. It's not like everybody are, are, are like these Americans where we hunker down and, and we get our private sector to try to figure out how to solve the problem. And we're all focused on that. Uh, the rest of the world is still going on, going along, acting like the world, and in some cases, that means people who are going to take advantage of the situation. So malevolent actors abound. Malevolent actors abound, Absolutely. and I, I and in wartime, you're ready for that, right? You're ready for sabotage and cyber attacks, et cetera. But this is a uniquely vulnerable time for America. Do you think uh, the guard is up? I, I I think it's up. I think this is. Uh, 
uh, it might not be up as it, it should be. I, I think more generally, this is a wake up to how the world operates. The the degree of, of the debate back and forth about the president's reference to this as the Wuhan virus, for instance, um, reminds people about what's what's going on here. I think uh, you, you you've talked to him a lot, but I talked to Tom Senator Tom Cotton a lot. I mean, there are people thinking about this. We should be worried about the extent to which our pharmaceutical industry is completely dependent upon China for some basic things we might need. This might be an argument for things like tariffs or subsidies to help home industries develop the kinds of things that, from a national security point of view, we would like to have here. So and we have never become so aware of how dependent we are on Chinese manufacturing. That will change, don't you think? Uh, it, it's got to change. I think we're seeing it change now, and it's going to change more in the future as we get out of this. Absolutely. The uh, de- decoupling, decoupling is the subtext here. It is going to happen. I don't know what it means for the world economy, but it is going to happen when you have an irresponsible regime. We cannot depend upon that regime. No, that's right. Both irresponsible and perhaps and likely uh, intentionally taking advantage of situations to threaten our economy, threaten the West, um, See how we react to things like a, a global virus, uh, testing our systems, potentially threatening our um, uh, infrastructure. You, we've got to be aware of all these things in this world, especially where these kind of vulnerabilities exist. We, we, are, we are a very affluent and, and in many ways soft country. And I think this is going to teach a lot of people that we've got to be more careful about these things. We can't be ready for every situation. That's why we need a strong executive and, and a system set up the way that we have it set up. But one of their jobs is to be in the lookout for these kinds of things. And the global environment, I think this is um, evidence of how it, it operates. And I think you'll see changes on our part about how we act in that world going forward, especially as it relates to China and by, by extension, China's relationship with a lot of these countries. The reason Italy, uh, the reason um, uh, Iran, some other places that we're having hotspots internationally is they have very close relationships with um, with China, and they're going to regret that, I think. And the world is changing in real time. By the time we do next week's Hillsdale Dialogue, it will be a completely different set of facts, but you can count on it occurring. Matt Spaulding, Dean of Hillsdale in D.C., thank you. My best to everyone in Hillsdale. Remember, all of those video courses available at hillsdale.edu for your edification during your quarantine, and especially hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History for you high school students and you adults who love history, hillsdale.edu slash U.S. History. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Generalissimo Duane. I'll be back on Monday.